Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. Sometimes I sit down to work on a sermon and wonder what on earth I was thinking all those months before when I chose the scripture. And with that, let's pray. Speak, O God, with power and imagination and might, so that through these words you might stir something new in our hearts and in our minds. Amen. Our scripture comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. So listen now to what the Spirit is saying to her church this day. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads. And on its horns were ten diadems. And on its heads were blasphemous names. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave it his power and his throne and great authority. And one of its heads seemed to have received a death blow, but its fatal wound had been healed. In amazement, the whole earth followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? Now, if this is your first time worshipping with us, or if you don't have a habit of reading scriptures on your own outside of a worship service, then you'd be wise to wonder right about now if we have switched out our Bibles for fantasy fiction. But I assure you, we have not. The beast was given a mouth, speaking arrogant and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to speak blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to wage war on the saints and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all the inhabitants of the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb that was slaughtered. Let anyone who has an ear listen. If you are to be taken captive, into captivity you will go. If you kill with the sword... With the sword, you must be killed. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Believe it or not, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have a cousin who is much younger than me. He was in elementary school when I was in seminary. His family attends a Presbyterian church, but they enrolled him in an after-school program at the Baptist church because that was the most convenient option. And I've got to say, I was envious of that for him because I knew it meant he was going to learn the Bible at a very young age. 
I learned a lot of things in my Presbyterian Sunday school growing up, but it wasn't until I got to seminary that I yearned for the biblical literacy of a Baptist, whether or not I agree with the accompanying biblical interpretations. And so I watched my cousin learn these Bible stories after school, and he loved to retell the stories that he was learning at his after-school program. And so he would share them with me. And without fail, his retellings would include a healthy dose of imagination, and they would be told with the earnestness that only a six-year-old can have. It's the only time I've heard the Exodus story involve an 18-wheeler, because how else are you going to get all those people a long way away? And the parting of the Red Sea involves celebratory boogie boards and jet skis. And Jesus' baptism in his retelling was a hurricane that people didn't have to evacuate for. This kid lives at the beach. You can't tell. So I'd say, wow, boogie boards and jet skis. Yes, Betsy, it's in the Bible. Had he retold John's vision from Revelation, he wouldn't have needed to supplement at all. It would still seem to include all the enhancements of a six-year-old's imagination. The book of Revelation is the very last book of our Bible. It gets the final word. And in my experiences, there are two possibilities among Christians when it comes to addressing the book of Revelation. The first possible response is to latch on to every last word as if this book contains the keys to the universe, including a riddle that, when solved, will give all the details of the second coming of Jesus Christ. There are accounts of theologians from the 1100s who built their worldview around the visions in this book and preached about when we could expect Jesus to come back. So this is an old reaction, but it's still happening today. Perhaps you're familiar with our neighbor, um, our fellow Texan televangelist, John Hagee, who has a lot to say when it comes to the book of Revelation. He and his son would love nothing more than to interpret all the visions of this book for you. If you listen to John speak, here's just some of what you'll hear. You'll hear that Revelation is a book about Russia and China or the European common market, or the selling tags on Procter & Gamble soap products, or the rapture at the end of days, the save of few and damnation of the many, the need for the state of Israel to exist in order to ensure that when Jesus returns to Jerusalem, there will be some Jews there to choose to become Christians or to join all other unbelieving Christians in the lake of fire. I just want to say that Presbyterians would be included in their category of unbelieving Christians, along with about three billion other people in our world. And the chosen few would sing hymns of praise while they watch their fellow humans writhe in agony for eternity. This is not a caricature. You can listen to his words if you want. I don't recommend it. Um, but you can hear a very clear example of what people are inclined to do with this book, trying to make sense of these visions by assuming that each vision must have a modern-day correlation to our context, as if this book was written for today's world. But we know that that's not true. 
If you looked up our scripture today, you could see all sorts of interpretations trying to make sense of what these ten horns and seven heads of the beast symbolize with various things happening in our world. The second response is much less involved than that. Just ignore the book altogether. It's too unwieldy. It seems like the only people who are reading this book of the Bible and talking about it have pretty obscure views on what it means. So one option would be to just pretend like it's not there. In the Bible, one book earlier, or cherry pick the few verses that seem nice, which we tend to do. There's a really nice line for funerals. And then we ignore the fact that the majority of the book is about dragons and beasts, more visions like what we heard today. I'll say this has been my approach, and it's worked very well for me until for some unbeknownst reason I decided to preach this vision today. So what are we to make of this story? I think the title of the book gives us a clue. The book is titled Revelation, not Revelations with an S. And if you've made that mistake, you're in very good company. It seems like such a small thing, but I think it unlocks a lot for us because there's a big difference. A revelation is a revealing or an unveiling of something that's singular. Revelations is what you'd expect, the revealing of many things. But the title of the book suggests that maybe just one thing is being told to us in all these chapters. Maybe just one thing is being revealed to us through all of these visions. The beginning of the book even confirms this. It reads, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So John Hagee's interpretations, making out each fantastical vision to reveal something about our current culture, assumes that this is a book of revelations with many things to be revealed to us. But the title tells us otherwise, that it is one thing. And so I think the question for us is, what is the one thing being communicated through this vision and others? The dragons and the beasts that we just read about, well, they are just part of the larger story. They're just part of that one thing being revealed. John, this is not the same John of the Gospels, this is a different one, he's the man having these visions in Revelation, and he is sharing these at a time of intense persecution. There was a failed Jewish revolt against Rome, and the religious folks are suffering intensely. Some are trying to save themselves by creating an alliance between religion and politics, and well, we know how that turned out for Jesus. So John is offering a pretty intense critique of people willing to surrender religion into the hands of a political empire. But more importantly, he is offering encouragement to hold fast to their most fundamental religious convictions. So the people who are hearing this vision, they wouldn't have responded by asking what had gotten into John. They wouldn't have asked if he'd taken his medication or if he needed to be medicated, they would have heard about these dragons and beasts and said, oh my gosh, we know that kind of evil. We know those beasts. We know what it's like to see something so gruesome at work before us. 
This is a vision of encouragement, believe it or not, for everyone who is suffering. It's as if John is saying, I know you're suffering, and it's so much worse than I can imagine that I can't even speak about it plainly. So I am just going to talk about the beast and try to give you some endurance for whatever beast arise from the sea. This is a call for endurance and faith, John says. G.K. Chesterton once talked about the beauty of fairy tales, and he said, fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. Now, I'm not suggesting that we reduce the Bible to a fairy tale, but his words get to the heart of what John is revealing through these visions. What if this final book of our Bible is not meant to be interpreted as if every beast has a modern-day correlation and instead is meant to interpret everything that's come before it in the Bible? What if God is the singular revelation? My friend Drew told me about this cool practice among medieval map makers. Maybe you're familiar with it. On some ancient maps, there are these places marked by a visual representation of monsters or some imagined creature. And then a little inscription underneath that reads, Here be dragons. Here be dragons. It was how they denoted the places that were yet unexplored and supposedly full of beasts and dragons, new evils just waiting to arise from the sea, stuff they couldn't anticipate. If you were to mark out a map of your life, how many dragons would appear on the places yet unexplored? As someone who is preparing to bring new life into the world, I think my map would just be a cutout of a dragon. I am so keenly aware right now of all that is unexplored and waiting to be discovered in my world. If you were to map out your faith, where would dragons show up? What trials have you yet to endure? If we were to map out our world together, we could name the beasts that we see right now, but there is so much that we have yet to endure. There is so much that we can't yet anticipate. Friends, here be dragons. Here be dragons. What if this final book of Scripture is meant to be our encouragement as people of faith, a way to say to all of us, yes, it's true. Here be dragons. But God's work endures, and so should your faith. After all, isn't that the quick version of everything that's happened up to the point in this Bible? This is the grand finale of an interpretation. Evil exists, and God's hand is still at work. Through everything that seemed unimaginable, everything that our spiritual ancestors went through, God still managed to work through it. God still managed to do something good in the midst of all that seemed so bad. The prophets teach us what it means to resist the world as it is. Last week we learned the first step of resistance is truth-telling. That's what Amos showed us. But that's not the only way to resist. The other part of resistance is imagination. John, 
The first way he uses his imagination is that he imagines the world is worse than it actually is, so that he is encouraged to resist current evil so it doesn't get any worse. And then he imagines the world as it could be. He imagines the world as God wants it to be. John shares all these visions of dragons and beasts, and then you get to the end of the book, and he shares the words that we love to cherry pick because it is a vision of the world as God wants it to be. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God will be with them and wipe every tear from their eyes. See, I am making all things new. Using G.K. Chesterton's words, revelation is more than true, not because it tells us that dragons exist, but because it tells us that dragons can be beaten. No matter the absurdity of evil in John's visions, God's work still conquers in the end. And did you notice that line? I am making all things new. Not, I am making all new things. God is capable of making something new from even the worst encounter with the beast. That's one of the great gifts of the prophets to us. That's what it means to resist the world as it is. We are each called to have enough imagination to believe that God is still at work right here among us, still capable of making something new in the midst of the struggles we face today. I know the dragons that our world is facing. I know the dragons I'm facing. I know some of the dragons that you are facing, but I don't know all of them. But I offer you the same encouragement as John. Friends, here be dragons. But let that be the call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Because this is what we know for sure. God is making all things new. And God is at work in the dragons we face today and those we have yet to meet. Thanks be to God. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day, and always, always. Amen.